Thank you, ladies. Great way to draw our attention back to our source of strength, our source of hope, and today, our source of wisdom. We've been traveling through the book of Proverbs, studying about the wisdom that God has decided to impart to us. And uh, today, we're going to spend some time talking about the writer, the author of those Proverbs. We're we're all seeking wisdom, especially at a time like uh, our world is going through right now with this pandemic. We've been seeking wisdom. And lo and behold, we find out there are lots of people and organizations who claim to be the source of that wisdom, uh, whether they're politicians, they could be public health people, physicians, the guy down the street. Everybody is an expert and is willing to share their wisdom with us. But in studying the, the book of Proverbs and actually studying their author, we find out there is only one true source of, of wisdom. And that is our God. Our God, our help in times past and in times present. In our culture today, it seems like we tend to celebrate and elevate people who can successfully multitask. But I don't know that there's anybody in our culture or any other culture that's ever been that was as diverse in their abilities and accomplishments as King Solomon was. Solomon was the third king to rule over all of Israel. He's the son of King David and Bathsheba. And he ruled Israel for 40 years, from 965 to 925 B.C. He's known, obviously, as the richest, the wisest, most powerful man of his time. His wisdom is still world-famous. His wealth was beyond imagination, perhaps even today. He was a trader, businessman par excellence. He was literally a horse trader. He brought horses out of Egypt. He bred them. He trained them, sold them to a, a number of different nations. He even owned his own navy. A lot of people don't realize that, but yes, Solomon had a, a navy, the first one in Israel. He imported cedars from Lebanon. It took him 13 years to build his own home. He built houses for a number of his 700 wives. His wealth attracted the curious and sometimes the desperate. But including the curious included Queen Sheba, who traveled a number of days just to see if what she had heard about his kingdom was true. Every year, Solomon received 666 talents of gold. What's a talent? That's about 75 pounds of gold. In today's valuation, that means his annual income was about a billion and a half. That's a billion with a B, a billion and a half dollars per year. What do you do with all that gold? It's not enough to even fund a, a COVID stimulus program. Well, what they did with it, it said that uh, his drinking vessels, his plates, eating utensils were all made of pure gold. No silver in the place at all. No man before him, no man since him had the wealth, the recognition, the honor, the glory that was Solomon's. What more could a man ask for? There was once an article in New York Magazine about a man named Harry Lipsig. Larry, uh, Harry spent 60 years building his law practice in New York City. At age 68, he retired. 20 years later, at age 88, he decided to start over again, and he opened a new firm. 
Harry was known as the king of torts, the toughest man, the toughest, most successful personal injury specialist in the country. He was instrumental in winning hundreds of millions of dollars in verdicts for his clients. He set new legal standards that contributed to the expanding horizon of law, and he dedicated his life to getting just compensation for his clients. When Lipsick opened his new firm and tried his first case in over 20 years, his first case was against the city of New York. And that ended up in him winning a, a settlement of $1.25 million. Now, at his new firm, Harry had just one partner, one executive assistant, and he was happier than he'd ever been in his job. He lived life to the fullest, no limits, still doing great legal work, he was. Harry's career closed when his eyes did in death in 1995 at the age of 93. His passing was noted in obituaries and newspapers throughout the country, but his legacy continued at the Lipsig Law Firm. For nearly 3,000 years now, we have talked about a man who, like Harry Lipsig, lived his life with no limits. To the Jewish people, the name Solomon is identified with the most glorious time in the nation's history. To New Testament Christians, Solomon represents the great measure, a greatest measure of achievement one human being can actually enjoy under God's blessing. His star rose quickly around, at around 20 years of age. He was wealthy, he was productive, and very wise. And he reigned for 40 years but his star fell as quickly as it rose when he forgot God and disobeyed him. To understand the grandeur of Solomon's accomplishments, to be able to absorb the, the fantastic stories about the man, the beyond-the-borders, no-limits persona, today we're going to look at seven areas of Solomon's life that the Bible gives us specific information about his achievements. And I, I suspect we can and should be all amazed at the picture that this man is clarified as having. First, we're going to start by looking at Solomon the Builder. In your Bible, in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 15, it says, And this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and his own house, and the Millol, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer. This passage is a, a summary, a maybe a partial list of some of Solomon's building projects. Now, we know one of his greatest accomplishments in life was the building of God's temple, as his father David had planned it, but was not permitted to build it. And even today, it's referred to as Solomon's temple. I'm not going to take the time to look at all of the magnificence of that project, because it would take a long time. But it was an incredible project for him to do. And if it were his only achievement, he would probably still be very well known just for that achievement alone. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38 tells us that in the 11th year, in the month of Bull, in the 8th month, the temple was finished in all its details according to all its specifications. And he had spent seven years building it. Wow, pretty incredible. Secondly, we see Solomon as 
a governor, a leader, a, a, a political figure. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. I had a map slide here. I'm not sure if you'd be able to see it, but just for reference there, this territory is about 800 miles long north to south. That's about the same as California coastline. I think it's about 840, 850 miles. So it's, it's very comparable size-wise. It was once the, the domain of Egyptian and Mesopotamian empires, and Solomon exploited their decline in order to extend his kingdom's territory. Under Solomon, Israel rose to a new level of power and prestige. And because of his leadership, Israel was able to, to shed that nomadic uh, Arab of the desert ways that they had and become a nation of civilized and cultured people. Thirdly, we see Solomon as the leader. 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 kind of outlines his cabinet. I'm not going to try and take the time to read that and mispronounce all those names. <laughs> but I'd like you to look it over and realize that this is a group of people that Solomon had ruling with him. Now the list is, uh, I suppose some people will look at the list and think it's not really important, but it does reveal a lot about Solomon's administrative abilities. Remember, his government was an absolute monarchy. That means that everything depended on the will of Solomon. And things were made to minister to his own greatness. But the listing here of his cabinet uh, lists exactly who worked with him in the leadership of Israel. That cabinet, if you will, met regularly with Solomon. It consisted of uh, one chief of staff over all the other officers, three priests, two secretaries, a commander of the army, a historiographer, a private counselor, a steward, and, of course, a, a tax collector. <laughs> I guess all governments have to have one of those. When Solomon took the throne, he divided his kingdom into 12 districts, each with its own governor, each of whom answered directly to him. These districts were set up to provide everything that he needed for his own household. So at least once each month, each governor was reported to the king about how he was doing and how he was doing in caring for the needs of the kingdom. So clearly Solomon was an, an organized and hands-on type of leader. Fourthly, Solomon was a financier. He was a financial whiz. Again, 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 14 to 15 says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 660 cents talents of gold besides that which came from the explorers and from the businesses of merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. So that $1.4 billion that I talked about was just a starting place for his annual income. That's truly a golden age of Israel, <laughs> literally a golden age. 1 Kings 10.21 reports that all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. <laughs> okay. 
Not only was Israel golden, it was full of exotic treasures from around the world. Precious stones, rare Arabian spices, almond and sandalwood trees from India, ivory from Africa, and of course those famous cedars of Lebanon. As we mentioned before, the temple that Solomon built was breathtaking. Inlaid gold was everywhere. The servants, the priests, all the folks, that uh, the cupbearers were beautifully decked out. All around there was top drawer cuisine, horses, chariots abounding. Jerusalem was a capital city of splendor. And the wisest, richest ruler on earth. Indeed, Solomon was the wisest, richest man ever to live. And I don't know that anybody has ever challenged that. We have a few entrepreneurs today who who might. They are billionaires, but he was the greatest of all time. Fifthly, Solomon was a scientist. First uh, Kings chapter 4, verses 33 to 34 says, He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Some people have referred to Solomon as the first great naturalist. He was an expert in in natural history, zoology, ornithology, and botany. His book of Proverbs makes reference to nature time and time again, using descriptions of the natural creation to illustrate spiritual truths. He didn't just pass through God's creation blindly. He understood much of it and continued to learn more and more about it. He had an inquisitive scientific mind. Sixthly, like his father, Solomon was also a military leader. Again, 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Elath, on the shore of the Red Sea, in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, Seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. So this is the first place that we're told that Solomon and Israel had a navy, the first leader of Israel to do so. And he went to the Red Sea to do it. And in chapter 10, verse 26, we hear about his army. Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Now the name Solomon, the word Solomon, means peace. And it was a time of peace in Israel. Solomon was one of those guys who believed, as some do today, in peace through strength. And he stationed his uh, navy in key cities and his horsemen and chariots in key cities. And also kept some with him in Jerusalem. This military strength that he had, along with his reputation, was enough of a deterrent to his enemies not to bother him or his people. They simply counted on the fact that he was uh, more than adequately prepared for them. So they didn't bother during Solomon's time. Seventh and finally, we see Solomon the author. Now, with all these other things he was doing, with 
all he did, all he took care of, all of the people he led, all the different things he did in government administration, how did he have time to write? But write he did. 1 Kings 4.32 says, He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. That doesn't include the Song of Solomon, or Ecclesiastes, or most of the book of Proverbs. Uh, it, there's Psalm 72, Psalm 127. We know he wrote a lot that we don't even have. For example, 1 Kings 4.32 told us Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs. But you look at our book of Proverbs in our Bible, it only has 915 verses. So we have, at best, a third of the Proverbs that he wrote. Even with all the evidence that we do have, we consider Solomon the wisest man who ever lived. And we see now that we may only have a small glimpse of that great wisdom that he put into words. Well, then, what lessons? Let's go to the bottom line here. What lessons do we learn from Solomon's life? We've taken a whirlwind look at, a whirlwind look at that life. What is it we should remember from that brief lesson? Should we be intimidated by all that he did and all that he accomplished when what we do seems so little and trivial? Absolutely not. There are three basic lessons that we can take from today's lesson and one final great lesson that really comes more in the, in the form of a warning. Our first lesson is to seek wisdom from God and follow that wisdom all of our life. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9 gives us some telling insight. Solomon says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. See, one of the keys to Solomon's success was that he kept his wisdom with him once he found it, once he was given it by God. We see that in the young Solomon. And its source was the Lord. The Lord was his source of wisdom. He asked for it and he got it. All of his accomplishments were directly related to the fact that all of the things he might have asked for, he asked for wisdom. Job, David, Solomon, and all the New Testament writers taught that wisdom was found only in the Lord God Almighty. It's him we must seek. From him we seek wisdom. And we must follow it forever after. Lesson two, set goals high. Never underestimate what God can do through one person. We might think, maybe even by the tone of my lesson today, that Solomon was special. Really? Is he any more special than any one of us, any one of you? I suggest that no, he's not. All Solomon did was go to God humbly. And he said, here's my humble request. Here's, here's what I, I need from you, what I want from you. And he was subject to God's directives. And he followed God at every step for a while. 
Because of his obedience and faith, his accomplishments were just fantastic. They illustrate that we should never set goals lower than God's. Lesson number three. True success is a gift from God. True success is a gift from God. And he's still giving it today. Sometimes American Christians kind of struggle with success, don't they? It's become, at best, politically incorrect. And at worst, it's become ugly, improper, and dishonest, and so on. Yet our Bible speaks of it in positive terms. And I can think of no reason to ever be ashamed to bring it up with God's people. Praying for God to make us successful as he would have us be is not wrong or inappropriate. In fact, it's right that we ask God for his wisdom, that he would make us the kind of people he would have us be and that he would make our lives glorify him in building his kingdom. But it brings us to our final lesson. And we'll close with it. But this final lesson seems more like a warning than anything else. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. God answered Solomon, Because this was your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were ever before you, and none after you shall have the like. In the New Testament, Jesus referred to Solomon in all his glory in Matthew chapter 6, verse 29. And he wasn't exaggerating. But instead of asking for all the things that most kings would expect to have coming to them, Solomon, in humility and out of obedience, looked to his God simply and asked for wisdom and knowledge as the leader of his people. God rewarded him by granting his request. And he threw in wealth, honor, and dominion. He had promised back in Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14, that he'd do so. He said, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, I will do this. And as a young king, that's exactly what Solomon did. And the glory of Solomon was God's blessing for seeking God's glory above everything else. But this come, then comes our final lesson, our warning. Somewhere along the way, Solomon's list of priorities got corrupted. For whatever reason, whatever excuse, he allowed God's glory to fall down on his list somewhere. <laughs> the Solomon's not special. We all tend to do that ourselves, don't we? At least I'll confess I do. Solomon collected wives like he collected horses, 700 of them, and that wasn't enough. He did everything in a big way, so he also had 300 concubines. That's, that's live-ins without marriage. This young king that we find in the Song of Solomon and the wise king we find in Proverbs 
Near the end of his life, we find him in Ecclesiastes, where he writes about his forays into excess and a, a hedonistic lifestyle. He tells how everything he had experimented with was vanity. It was meaningless without God. And he concluded that what he knew and lived as a young king was, in fact, truth. Wisdom and wealth are only blessings if they honor God. No man before and no man since was given all the wealth and all the glory, all the recognition or all the honor that was Solomon's. But in that great abundance, Solomon fell victim to those three deadly sins, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Fearing God, keeping his commandments, they're the only priorities that bring happiness and meaning and God's blessing. So today we ask that you seek God's wisdom and glory. And when he blesses you with it, don't let it go. Just give it away. Would you pray with me? Father, in our day, in our time, we find ourselves needing wisdom, looking for wisdom, seeking your wisdom. And we find a number of voices competing with yours, claiming to be the source of wisdom. I hope, Lord, that pray that you would give us wisdom enough to see the true source of wisdom in our lives. And that source of wisdom is you and your word to us. You've given us your Bible. You've given us your scriptures. You've given us everything we need to make wise decisions, to lead wise lives. So I pray that you will continue, even as we prepare our hearts for communion. I pray that you will bless our hearts. Bless our, our minds with your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.